I do have a question for you. What has God put in your heart to do? Like seriously, what has God put in your heart to do? Maybe, maybe some of you have not even dared trying to answer that question. Maybe some of you haven't thought of the question. You've been so busy. There's this a clamor of voices all around. You're so busy. You, you get up in the morning and the, the first thing you do is you just feel like your feet are just, are just ready to go and you attack your to-do list. Some of you need to take a time out and you need to, to get away and to hear God's voice and to listen to him. Our busy lives cause us to often miss out on what God has put in our hearts to do. And my big prayer, my big prayer for you this week and for myself as well, that we would hear God's voice and that we would obey it and we would do what God wants us to do quickly. I'm going to have to tell you that that might cause some of you to actually lay these aside, these smartphones and disconnect from other screens Take a walk maybe this afternoon. Find some time in your schedule to take some time for solitude of silence, the discipline of solitude and silence as you, you seek to be alone with God and hear your voice. I find when I do that, when I, when I spend time alone with God, he speaks deeply into my heart, especially when I get out into his creation, which theologians call general revelation. And then I take his written revelation, the Bible, and I try to listen for his voice. And he often speaks to me. This past week, we were out west uh, for a wedding, a family wedding, and we were just amazed by the grandeur of how big things are out west, right? The massive trees in British Columbia and the mountains and the oceans, and it just right-sizes you. And you can hear God's voice, and he starts to speak to you, and he lets you know what the next assignment is. Now, he doesn't tell you, you know, what your assignment usually is like five years from now, he wants us to live by faith, but he'll tell you what he wants you to do today or this week or this, this year. And I just ask again, what has God put in your heart to do? Maybe some of you are so afraid to do it. And today is the day where God empowers you to do what he's put in your heart to do. How do I know this? Well, uh, we can see in the life of a man named Nehemiah that God had put in Nehemiah's heart something to do. They really changed the course of history. Not just changed Nehemiah's life, but God's people. And we're still studying it 2,500 years later. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to look at Nehemiah's great pursuit of what God had put in his heart. At first, Nehemiah was just kind of minding his own business. He was pursuing his job with excellence and integrity as probably the most trusted man in the empire of Persia. When he finally got a bad report about his, his family and, and his, um, his nation of Jews, his fellow Jews back in, in Jerusalem, and he goes into become a, really a, a hot mess. He becomes he starts to mourn, he starts to pray, he starts to fast. And finally, he goes to God and he, he says, God, you're the one who has to turn the heart of the king, King Artaxerxes. And as we, we heard last week, Pastor Dan preaching on the first part of Nehemiah 2, we found out that 
God did answer his prayer. And he went back to Jerusalem and he was ready to do a renovation project. God is so great, isn't he? Look at verse 8. I love what verse 8 says of Nehemiah chapter 2. This summarizes, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. If God's hand is upon you and I, his hand will also give you all that you need, including the most outrageous things that you could ever ask for. And I'm not preaching a name it or claim it here today. I'm saying that what God has put in your heart that aligns with his word, he will answer. He will give. This is why it's so crucial that every morning you start to listen to what God wants you to speak by reading his word. So think about the biggest thing that you could ask for. Not for yourself, but for the extension of God's kingdom. Thing that maybe you've been too afraid to ask of. Would today be the day that you would ask God for that thing? If God has put it in your heart, and you know that it really does align with his word, you can be assured that God's going to make it happen. This is what we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 9 and going through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, the river meaning the river Euphrates, and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sinbalat the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased him greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Pause there just for a moment. If someone is not wanting the welfare of the people of Israel and the welfare of other people, I think that they're out of bounds, don't you think? Verse 11 says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days, and then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into the heart, in my heart, to do for Jerusalem. That's our question for the day. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode, and I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dun gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sinbalat the Hornerite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Jeshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. 
And we as servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of God for us today. You may be seated. Think about it. If God's hand is upon you, his hand will give you all that you need, right? But first you need to take time to listen. I want to reiterate that. If God's hand is upon you, think back in your life. Hasn't he always provided for you? But you first need to listen. You need to listen to his voice. To be quick to obey. Recall verse 4 of chapter 2. Look back at verse 4. Nehemiah, just as a review, Nehemiah was downcast. He, he's trying to hide it. You know, some of us are better at hiding things than others, right? Our emotions. Nehemiah wasn't great at hiding the distress he was feeling for his family. And he comes before the king. In verse 4, the king said to me, what are you requesting? And what does Nehemiah do first? Does he, does he give the request? No, he prays. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Despite already mourning and fasting and praying for days, including confessing all his sins and his family's sins, Nehemiah does not stop praying. He, he wanted to be in constant contact with God. I think about those, um, those old shows with those special ops in, in the army. And, those, uh, and, and they had to remain, kind of have, remain, have remain, um, radio silence, right? Have you ever seen those shows where the, they, they have to be real quiet when they're kind of going behind enemy lines and they can't be in contact with headquarters? Nowadays, apparently, there's more earpieces and they can remain more quiet. Well, that's what it's like for us today, that was what it was like for Nehemiah, that we actually have those earpieces. We can be in constant contact with God. We just need to pray to him. We need to seek him constantly in every action that we take. And because God's hand is upon us, he will put his assignment in our lives. But we need to be aware of three things. The first thing is this. Be aware that you will still face opposition. When God has put something in your heart, you will still face opposition. The second thing is, is you need to become aware of your present situation. You need to pay attention to the details. And the third thing is, you need to make aware to others God's help in accomplishing his mission. Let me put it in a more simple way. When you, when you know what God has put in your heart, be aware of opposition. Second of all, become aware of your present situation. And thirdly, make others aware of God's work so that they can help you. So be aware of the opposition that's coming at you. Don't be focused on them, but be aware of your present situation. And then make aware others that God can help, help us in our time of need. And this is an important lesson that many of us forget when God puts something in our hearts. I thought, okay, God, you put this in my heart. I know you want me to do it. And I thought it's going to be smooth sailing. But guess what? The seas get usually rougher when God puts something in our hearts. Have you found that to be true? We forget that discovering God's will for our life, as hard as that is, pales in comparison to doing God's will for our lives. 
Eric Geiger puts it this way, we can get so caught up in discovering God's will, but the emphasis in Scripture is actually doing God's will. Remember Jesus declared in John 4.34 that his food was to do the will of the one, that's his Father who sent him. So waking each up day, waking up each day should be like this. God, it's, it's less about, God, what do you want me to do today? It should be more like, God, you've told me already what I should do. Now give me the strength to do it. I'm going to do this. Empower me. That's why it's critical. The first thing you do is you get up and you read God's word. You hear from him. You get your marching orders for the day. So what did God speak to you already about today that you need to be doing? This is life. This is, this is what would guide and direct you, knowing and reading God's word. It's the most life-changing thing I could do for you, to, to read God's word every day. It's one of our really, it's one of the competencies that we believe a disciple of Christ really has to have, is to read God's word every day, to understand it, to obey it. You see, actions speak louder than words. And the words of God speak loudest when we actually obey them and take action with it. Now, despite taking action with God's word and what he has put in your heart, we need to be aware of opposition. Notice that this happened in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. It says, I'll start in verse 9, actually. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set with me officers of the army and horsemen. So just pause there for a moment. So in summary, Nehemiah has written approval from the king and the king's army is with him to go ahead and redo this re renovation project, this rebuild project. And then look what happens. You'd think, okay, this is, this is, he's, Nehemiah's got it made. He's done all the hard work. But notice verse 11. Verse 10, I mean, but when Sambal the Hornite and the Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, many times in my life, I've thought, well, if I'm going to pursue God, then it's just going to be really easy. It's going to be easy street, right? There's not going to be no bumps along the way. It's not going to be twisty or turn and all, all these turns, but that's not the case. When you are following God, it's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. And actually, when you face opposition, if it's not self-inflicted, that probably is a confirmation that it is God's will in your life. Think about this. I mean, think about this. Nehemiah leaves, leaves his role. He takes a leave of absence from essentially what would be equivalent of a vice presidency. And he, he goes to the king and says, hey, um, I need a leave of absence, and I'm going to go fix my family, uh, my, fam my hometown. And by the way, could the company pay for... Pay for uh, the rebuild project? Like, you try that tomorrow at work, okay? And guess what happens? God actually answers Nehemiah's prayer, and the king not only gives Nehemiah an absence and a leave of absence, but 
he lets his most trusted official go, which is crazy because that would be uh, the king's great tester of, of his food and whether it was poisoned or not. And then the king provided funding for Nehemiah and his family's uh, project, and the king endorses, gives them a letter, and he gives them the army. And yet, at, we read verse 10, and with all this amazing answers to prayer, there are still opposition to this work going forward. One of the things I have learned the longer I go in life is that opposition is relentless. Have you found that to be true? Opposition is relentless. It never stops until heaven. You can have big, hairy, audacious prayers answered by God, and the opposition keeps coming. Why? Because we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and authorities in high places. We struggle against the kingdom of darkness, the devil. And this is the only reason why we continue to face opposition. Remember what the Apostle Paul told his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12? Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So why do you, why do you and I so often think that it's going to be easy? Well, because we're made for heaven, right? I'll be talking about that tonight. But reality is, is we will face opposition time and time again if we are pursuing what God has put in our hearts. Think about the proper documents that Nehemiah had and the detail of army that he had behind him. And yet, these opponents of, of his continue. Even to look back, jump down to verse 19. When Simbalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and now he's joined by a third person, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? How ridiculous is that? I have, I have proof right here, the letter. I have his army, you can see the army, and you're talking to me and telling me that I'm the rebel against the king? You just seem to be quiet. That's what I would have done. Nehemiah doesn't quite do that. We need to remember that Satan doesn't give up. He tries to mock us. He tries to confuse us. And Nehemiah's strategy is to continue to seek God. Now, these foreigners, of, they were called a Haranite, which is Samaria, and Ammon, an area, an area, um, Arabia were territorial, and they probably had actually connections with the high priest family, but they didn't have any right or claim on the land, and so they continued to jeer Nehemiah, and we need to be aware of this, that often our enemies' um, words are their weapons, scorn and ridicule, but we need to call their bluff. We need to remember that God is on our side. And no weapon formed against us shall what? Shall prosper. My dad would constantly remind me of this whenever there was opposition I faced. And he would say, consider the source and take it as a compliment. 
I hope you're not discouraged today if you're facing opposition. In fact, if you're facing opposition and it's not self-inflicted from your own sin, you are probably in the center of God's will and work. You should be encouraged. Hey, you know, it's been a, it's been a hard week. It's been great. I've been following God. I got an encouragement from um, a couple months ago, just after my dad died, and um, it was from a pastor, and he said that he was still in ministry because of one day my dad showed up at a pastor's meeting, and they went around the room and said, how are things going? And uh, my dad said, well, uh, my deacons hate me, Uh, the um, old people think that I'm trying to change everything, young people don't think I'm changing enough. And um, most people think I can't preach out of a wet paper bag. But other than that, things are great, right? And that, that younger pastor who heard my dad say that said, I'm still in ministry because of that encouragement. I'm hoping today that you'll be encouraged and you'll move along because of the fact that you're facing opposition. It's a great sign that you're doing what God wants you to do. So if you've got some scars this week, way to go, okay? But don't only just be aware of your opposition, also become aware of your present situation. Notice that Nehemiah did not study his enemies as much as he studied what needed to get done. Look at verses 11 through 16. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring. Interesting, there's a list in here, dragon spring. And to the dun gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem. They were broken down in its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. In other words, it was just um, so broken down that he had to get off his donkey and go by foot. And then I went up by the night, by the valley, and inspected. The word inspected is used um, many times in this passage. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, and the nobles and officials and the rest who were there to do the work. I love this. Nehemiah did not attack the people. What did he do? He attacked the problem. He went on a clandestine inspection tour of the city at night. As Bible scholar Derek Kinner remarks, Nehemiah did not march into action or talk. He took a pause, he inspected, he paid attention to his present situation, he paid attention to the details. He didn't use his privileges of his entourage of the army or or all the animals to kind of use as a power play over his opponents. No, instead, he concentrated on the details. He went on a fact-finding mission. And that's what we're to do. When God puts something in our heart, we need to pay attention to the details. Okay, God, what do you want me to do next? Is it this? What's the first thing that you want want done? Often dreams take a gestation period to develop. If you don't do the hard work and the exploratory work at first, your dreams become half-baked, right? As the saying goes, dreams work when you do. And often the work is behind the scenes. 
It takes research. It takes thought. I love how our team here and, and many of you, as we've gone through the, the, the master's plan, not just, not just 4.0, we have, we've worked hard at trying to actually seek God and pay attention to the details. And Daryl and his team have done an amazing job. Why do we do this? Well, remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6? When we, when we give, when we serve, when we pray, when we fast, we're to do these things in secret. Because Jesus said, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So discover and do what God has put in your heart, but don't, don't first tell the world about it. You could share these things with a few trusted confidants like Nehemiah did who are followers of God. But much of God's kingdom work is done in secret and will be revealed when his kingdom comes. And yet when you know what God has put in your heart to do, you not only become aware of opposition and become aware of your present situation, but you should also make finally others aware of what God's help can do for them. Nehemiah rallies the Jewish nobles. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, that's the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were doing the work. You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, and I love it, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They strengthened their hands for the good work. Notice how Nehemiah doesn't just give like this inspiring speech like William Wallace in Braveheart. No, he reminds them of God's stories, of how God has helped him. You and I need to build hope by telling God's stories. Nehemiah reminded the people of their plight and how they were suffering derision and how that, that, that cry for help had reached all the way back to the Persian palace, but even more so, it went further. It just didn't go horizontal. It went vertical. It went to the high throne room of heaven, and God heard their prayer. Remember our memory verse? Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. God was listening. God was acting. Nehemiah tells God's people that God's hand was upon him and them. And don't you think that they found great encouragement from that? I think they did because look at verse 20. It says, and I replied to them, that's their enemies, the Sanballat guy, and Tobiah and Geshem, and he, I love this, and the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. Isn't there holy defiance there, isn't it? This is one of the great inspirational speeches in the Bible, but it's inspired because it ultimately points us to Christ. Think about this. Didn't Jesus himself face opposition? From the very moment that he touched earth as a little baby, Herod and his soldiers, who were really the henchmen of the evil one, tried to kill Jesus. 
And didn't Jesus himself go about God's work in relative quiet? For the first 30 years, nobody had any idea except maybe, maybe his mother and Joseph that he was the son of God who'd come to earth. And didn't Jesus prosper because God caused him to arise and build his church with just a few followers who have now become millions, maybe billions, down through the centuries. It is this Jesus that helps us to do what God has put in our hearts to do. So whatever God has put in your heart to do, remember that you have the strength of Jesus' spirit in you to accomplish all that he wants to get done. You just have to obey. You just have to do it. This week, it's time to listen to his voice. It's time to take action. Let's pray. God, I don't know what each, each person here, what you put in their hearts. It's for some, maybe for the first time, they need to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. For others, it needs to become baptized or, or married or let go of a relationship that's, that's unholy, this a detour away from you. For others, God, uh, Lord, this week might be a week where you have put in their heart to have courage to chase down their calling. You've been calling them into some kind of ministry, both either inside or outside of the church. God, for others, it's to have that difficult conversation with that family member or that coworker, that friend, that neighbor. God, whatever you have put in our hearts to do, would we do it all in the might and strength of your Holy Spirit? And would we do it in a way that would please and honor you? We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen and amen.